Chapter One of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy, by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter One Description of Dowling Lodge and its Appurtenances, of its Master, of its Mistress and all the masters and mrs dowling a large dinner-party a hot drawing-room and the way to escape from it no traveller can ride or drive within sight of dowling lodge without being tempted to inquire whose house is that it forms indeed a very striking object on the right of the london road as the hill rises gradually and overlooks the town of ashley one of the busiest in lancashire to the left for although the trees about the mansion are not yet of sufficient growth to make it picturesque its lofty portico well-proportioned wings and commanding sight render it an ornament to the neighbourhood for miles round those who are admitted to a nearer view of the house and for the convenience of the public every wednesday is set apart for its being shown will find still more to admire than such as see it only from a distance it has its park and its pinery conservatories which cause the mercury in the thermometer when paraded through them to run up to the cocoa ripening heat of the tropics and ice-houses that would bring it down again to the temperature of bering straits it has three drawing-rooms two dining-rooms a great library all full of new books as many bedrooms dressing-rooms and boudoirs as a great man's house ought to have and a study besides sir matthew dowling's own private study this delightful little apartment is small not more than twelve feet square but nothing can be more agreeable and convenient it opens by one door from the great hall of entrance and by another communicates through a long stone passage with the offices of the mansion enabling the knight to receive without interruption not only his overlookers sir matthew being the proprietor of many cotton-mills but his coachman gardener bailiff and whomever else he might wish to transact business with of the fitting up of this princely mansion it is only necessary to say that it is done in a spirit of emulative imitation which renders it fully equal in this respect to the most finished private dwellings in europe the furniture is uniformly rich throughout the picture frames in the best style of art saxony carpets in the drawing-rooms turkey ditto in the dining-rooms brussels in the bedrooms and indeed not a single inch of kidderminster anywhere except in the garrets i will not attempt to state the amount of sir matthew dowling's wealth cocker himself would have found it a laborious task to make the calculation and it is sufficient for the gratification of all reasonable curiosity to say that throughout the whole line of that galconda country which being the busiest of the manufacturing districts is probably the richest in the world there was not any one who could vie in wealth with him in a word he shone amidst his rich neighbours like a golden sun surrounded by silver moons but sir matthew was a superior man in all ways he was six feet two inches in height and stout in proportion with hands and feet that might have sufficed a giant his intellectual gifts were also of no ordinary character he liked well enough perhaps to stand pre-eminent in the commercial estimation of his neighbours but so enlightened was his spirit that he liked better still to shine before their eyes as a man of taste a literary and accomplished gentleman a speaker of modern languages a critical french scholar a playful votary of the muses himself 
and a universal messinas to all who wielded a pen in their service but beyond all else sir matthew valued himself upon his reputation for the lighter graces of wit and gallantry he sought to make himself into something of a delightful mixture between killigrew and the count de gramont and there was no receptacle of wit from joe miller downwards no gallant memoirs in an intelligible tongue that he did not study with assiduity and perseverance of the highest order he was often heard to declare that he loved nothing so well as the promotion of mirth and light-heartedness among his fellow-creatures but tragedy and comedy often walk through the world hand in hand together and their alliance may be traced without difficulty in the career of sir matthew dowling the wife of this prosperous gentleman had also many admirable qualities she was not one of the idle gossipers who delight in chattering about their own concerns to every one who will listen she despised such weakness and had never been heard to hint at her own parentage or early history to any one rightly considering that when such matters are unceasingly discussed they may be exceedingly likely to prevent people's minding their own business while devoting an undue share of attention to that of others nevertheless with nice and laudable discrimination she took care that her neighbours should be well acquainted with all such facts respecting her as it concerned them to know there was hardly an individual within ten miles who was not aware that lady dowling kept two carriages six horses one coachman one postillion five gardeners two grooms three footmen one butler and a page not to mention two nurses four nursery-maids and more ladies-maids housemaids cook-maids kitchen-maids laundry-maids still-room-maids dairy-maids and the like than any other lady in the county neither could any be ignorant that except in the article of jewels her wardrobe might vie with that of any duchess in the land and all might see moreover that she was comely still both in form and feature she conversed with great ability on all subjects connected with fashionable life and though some few carping critics thought that she was too apt to diversify the monotony of english language by indulging in some remarkable variations from its ordinary laws nobody or scarcely anybody attempted to deny that she was on the whole a very charming woman such was the testimony of her general acquaintance those who knew her better were aware that her moral qualities outshone as they always ought to do all her external graces she was a faithful and exceedingly fond wife and doted upon all her children no woman could more heartily detest every species of light flirting airs in females and being deeply sensible of the dangerous attractions of youth and beauty in her own sex she studiously avoided bringing those of her family who might suffer thereby from coming in contact with anything of the kind so that the female portion of her establishment consisted of the ugliest set of neat and carefully dressed middle-aged women that ever were found assembled together the knight and his excellent lady were blessed with a very numerous progeny certainly not less than eighteen or twenty but as they were rarely all at home together it was at no time easy to count them augustus the eldest of the family was a prodigiously fine young man just returned from college he had not indeed thought it necessary to take a degree nor did sir matthew or her ladyship particularly wish it both of them being of opinion that little distinction could be gained by the assumption of a title which was never used in society and to which he conceived every englishman to be eligible who could just read and write a little but as on all points that concerned the interest of his eldest son sir matthew was too deeply interested to run any risk of blundering 
he did not give his consent for the return of augustus without his having gone through this idle academic ceremony till he had paid a visit to the rector of his parish to elicit from him some information on the subject may i ask sir said sir matthew abruptly what degree you took at the university mr hetherington was a new incumbent and might perhaps have been a little affronted at a question which by the blunt manner of it seemed almost to insinuate a doubt whether he had taken any degree at all but though a good man and an excellent clergyman to boot he had a strong taste for humour and had already discovered that his neighbour at the great house was rich in more ways than one it was therefore with the utmost civility that he answered my degree sir matthew was that of master of arts and pray sir does it give you any title by which you can be distinguished as in any way a superior sort of person in society i am afraid not sir matthew was the reply i thank you sir for your sincerity rejoined the knight it was important that i should ascertain the truth on this point you are then never addressed in company as mr master of arts or anything of that kind i have never yet sir matthew met with any one of sufficient politeness to do me that honour replied mr hetherington gravely and i suppose you have lived in respectable society very decent society very decent sir matthew replied hetherington whose mother was the daughter of a distinguished nobleman good morning sir i shall be happy to see you at dowling lodge that is to say sir if your gown does not lead you to object to elegant amusements i love science mr hetherington and am indeed devoted to everything intellectual but notwithstanding this i am a worshipper at the shrine of grace and wit and could not exist among people who did not relish the lighter embellishments of society i shall be happy sir matthew to share in your gayer hours provided i am fortunate enough to find that you have no objection to profit by my graver ones replied the clergyman sir matthew returned from his visit very well pleased with the new rector mr augustus was immediately comforted by a letter informing him that he might call in his accounts and prepare to leave the university as soon as he pleased and within ten days after receiving it the amiable young man was restored to the bosom of his family next to this primal hope of the dowling race came three young ladies between the ages of seventeen and twenty-one the two eldest of them being as like as two peas and the third like nothing on earth but herself then followed several young gentlemen who were placed at different fashionable schools for sir matthew who was a man of very enlarged mind declared it to be his opinion and his principle that the patronage of such a fortune as his should be extended as widely as possible after these young gentlemen came one after the other with the interval of about eleven months between them ever so many little girls who for the present were all educated at home having a particularly clever french governess all the rest were nice little children at different degrees of babyhood the dear little girls being remarkable for their long plaited hair short frocks and fur-bellowed trousers and the dear little boys for the manly bustle with which they wore their scotch bonnets and plaited tunics which considering that neither sir matthew nor his lady had ever been in scotland in their lives showed great enlargement of national feeling altogether it was considered to be the finest family ever seen it happened upon a broiling day about the middle of july during one of the hottest summers england had ever known that sir matthew and lady dowling entertained a party of distinguished fashionables at dinner 
it may have been remarked by those who study such subjects that there is a difference between a dinner-party given at such a grand mansion as that of sir matthew dowling and one at a dwelling of perhaps not a quarter the size where the owners are of a different order of the aristocracy having a longer pedigree and a shorter purse at both probably the banquet will be a costly one yet the one entertainment will come off in a manner as unlike as possible to the other there is something in the usual way of wearing stiff new-made grandeur not far unlike that of wearing stiff new-made clothes neither the one nor the other sit easily at this splendid dinner at dowling lodge the company consisted of a selection from the neighbouring families made on the most legitimate principles of exclusiveness no family being invited who did not drive four horses at the races to this there were indeed two exceptions the first was the right honourable lady clarissa shrimpton but this distinguished lady though she drove only one pony instead of four horses was considered by all the country round as the one thing needful to render a party completely elegant she was indeed neither young handsome nor rich but she was lady clarissa and this was enough the other exception was to be found in the rotund person of dr crockley who having formerly been a celebrated quack made a little fortune and taken out a diploma had lately married a beauty and settled in the town of ashley where he was well pleased to pick up a few guinea fees both as a public evidence of his being a real m d and as a private fund wherewith to indulge his still very tender passion by buying finery for his pretty young wife this fat little gentleman was an especial favourite with sir matthew chiefly on account of his jocund humour and ready laugh and also perhaps because he had a pleasant way peculiar to himself of paying compliments in the bluntest and most unstudied manner possible but notwithstanding the presence of all these distinguished persons the dinner moved on very slowly sir matthew indeed was as brilliant as it was possible for any man to be under the circumstances and lady clarissa who did not scruple to declare that she was very partial to him listened to all he said to her with as much attention at least as any lady could be expected to do who was making one of sixteen at a dinner where there were an equal number of dishes of hot meats reeking upon the table and the thermometer standing at eighty-seven degrees dr crockley too laughed repeatedly but his laugh was like a lucifer match that fails just kindling and sputtering a little but going out before it is able to communicate its light the very sight of the servants as they panted round the table was quite enough to smother and stifle all inclination for enjoyment their shoes creaked their faces shone ice became water the salad looked as if it were stewed the cucumber seemed to have fainted away the prodigious turbot smelt fishy and its attendant lobster sauce glowed not with a deeper tint than did my lady dowling's cheeks as her nose caught the unfragrant gale in short it was a great dinner in the dog days and no more need be said of it great was the inward satisfaction of every guest when at last lady dowling rose and gave signal that the party was to be divided in half the languid ladies welcomed the coolness of the marble hall as they passed through it and the gentlemen gazed eagerly at the butler as he brought forward a fresh supply of claret and a reinforcement of ice but the enjoyment of neither party lasted long for lady dowling was too grand and too solemn not to marshal all her company into her fine drawing-room where they were all ceremoniously deposited on satin sofas amidst swelling pillows that might have defied the frost of january while seven or eight hot-looking children were commanded to walk round the circle and kiss everybody 
nor did the gentlemen fare much better for scarcely had the drawing-room door closed after the ladies before the shining bald head of dr crockley stretched itself up nearly to a level with the long-backed sir matthew's breastpin whilst with a very ominous sort of growl making itself heard before his lips opened he first preluded and then uttered the following speech i don't like it sir matthew i don't like this business at the weaver's arms what business doctor replied his friend sharply why this meeting sir matthew i can't get the notion of a strike out of my head every chair was drawn towards the little doctor nobody had heard a word of it well gentlemen perhaps i am mistaken perhaps there has been no meeting resumed the friendly doctor god knows i don't wish to spoil the enjoyment of this delightful hour but at any rate my good friends it is as well for you to be on the lookout then lowering his voice he muttered as near to the ear of sir matthew as he could reach i know that your people are meeting indoors and out of doors but you are such a good generous kind-hearted creature that i dare say we shall hear before long of your having done some d blank d good-natured thing or other and that perhaps will set all right who knows sir matthew gave an almost imperceptible nod and pushed on the claret-jug but the gaiety of the party had been effectually checked and it was not long before the second richest man in company sir matthew of course being the first said i do think and believe sir matthew that my lady's coffee would do more to cool us than your wine the opinion was not opposed and much earlier than usual the gentlemen rose and followed the ladies but this movement did not appear greatly to increase the enjoyment of either party it was near nine o'clock but the heat continued to be most oppressive and the company being for the most part massive in all ways their union produced more additional caloric than gaiety the whole process seemed to have the power of turning the hours into molten lead as they passed a portion of which appeared to drop and weigh heavily on each individual head in vain sir matthew made the circuit of the company pausing in front either of the richest or handsomest ladies as duty or inclination preponderated in vain he uttered his newest puns and freshest bon mots not one of them had strength to laugh beyond a little feeble he he and even that was evidently a painful effort things were in this state when lady clarissa shrimpton suddenly rose from the silken couch amidst whose pillows she was embedded and without explaining her intentions to my lady dowling or any one else darted through the open french window and out upon the well-shaven lawn had it been possible that any one in the room could have been ignorant of the rank of lady clarissa he must from that moment have felt an innate conviction that she was somebody for nobody that was not somebody could have ventured upon so daring an escapade from such a solemn presence-chamber the effect it produced was electric sir matthew darted across the room with the eagerness of a man of gallantry and gaiety he piqued himself upon being of all the great men in the neighbourhood the one upon whom lady clarissa bestowed the most attention his estimate of the outward advantages of his extensive person was indeed not a low one and despite all his lady could do to crush such an odious idea he was conscious that he was devoted to the fair sex and flattered himself that the fair sex was not ungrateful in fact his general manner to ladies had a good deal of what in female slang is called swaining but to lady clarissa it was certainly something more had she been simply miss shrimpton it is probable that notwithstanding her great mental advantages she would never have been exposed to the danger of this fascinating distinction 
for she was nearly forty years old had a sharp nose and was deplorably thin but sir matthew was not a man to be insensible to the charm of getting talked of in the neighbourhood about his devotion to lady clarissa by anybody even had she been a skeleton with a gorgon's head there was however independently of her bewitching title a charm in her conversation and character to which the knight was peculiarly sensible her ladyship was celebrated for her devotion both to literature and art and she permitted all the world to know for indeed she never ceased to repeat it that talent of every kind was to her an object of idolatry now sir matthew knew that he was full of talent poetical talent pictorial talent epigrammatic talent every kind of talent and it was certainly very delightful to be appreciated by such a superior creature as lady clarissa so strongly indeed did this intellectual sympathy between them occasionally manifest itself that not even the sharp elbows and red-tipped nose of the noble lady who to borrow the phrase of an inimitable describer was in every sense preter blue perfect could render lady dowling quite easy respecting the nature of the friendship nor was it without something like a pang that she marked the sudden alacrity of movement with which sir matthew now strode across the floor to accompany lady clarissa in the extraordinary frolic which led her in white satin shoes and a gauze dress to exchange the drawing-room for the garden at nine o'clock in the evening but upon this occasion as upon many others lady dowling found consolation in the well-known fact that lady clarissa rarely moved a step without being obsequiously attended to by her humble companion miss mogg this young lady had been selected to fill her present enviable situation principally from her appearance though she was indeed by no means void of many other qualifications admirably suited to it but in appearance she was a striking contrast to her tall and slender patroness and notwithstanding lady clarissa's mental superiority she was not insensible to the advantage of having a foil that should set off the charms upon which she particularly prided herself lady clarissa had a thin narrow foot and an ankle that resembled nothing so much as the leg of a robin redbreast the person of miss mogg was supported on shafts that told her saxon origin and feet that need not have shrunk from sustaining an ox lady clarissa's slender waist might have been encircled by a ring of six inches diameter a cestus of nearly double the span had often gone nigh to suffocate her plump companion the throat of lady clarissa had not only all the flexible length of the swans but might even be said to resemble that of a stork in its proportions while the head of miss mogg was separated from her shoulders by an interval so trifling as hardly to be perceptible at all the hair of her ladyship though not very abundant was as black as ink and its straight nature enabled her to lay it in classic bands upon her forehead furnishing a graceful foundation for the wreath of oak-leaves with which in judicious imitation of domenichino's exquisite head of sappho she usually adorned herself when in full dress while miss mogg on the contrary had a bushy abundance of flaxen curls which gave a round fussy sort of contour to her face that could not fail of setting off to advantage the severe outline of the noble lady and in a word the contrast was altogether perfect to the great satisfaction of lady dowling this round little personage arose as usual when her principal rose and waddled to the window after her many people are apt to overlook and forget companions and the poor toady is as much used to be trod upon as the despised reptile whose name she bears but if the world in general be bound guilty of this scorn towards what is too lowly to turn and scorn again more especially was our knight liable to the weakness 
as he now hastened to offer his hand to lady clarissa in order to assist her in stepping over the window-sill he very nearly overturned miss mogg as he passed her but heeding neither the resistance her plump person offered to his passing elbow nor yet the timid oh which spoke her alarm he hurried onward and manfully seizing the hand whose touch was honour walked out side by side with the titled lady upon the lawn End of chapter one